Yeah, like having an AI bot that doesn't suck. Oh God. <laughs> I am I don't I don't think I don't think anybody's gonna have one for several years at this point. I don't think it's ever. Considering what these things do, I don't I don't think it works the way that people seem to want to think it works. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that my whole thing I'll get to it in the podcast. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Sorry about that. This week, we're talking about ChatGPT and its friends. It has friends? Oh, yeah. Better than its enemies. So, large language models, chatbots, been kind of in the news recently. Kind of making some waves in the the social circles and the essentially the internet funny papers and stock prices of companies. Um, Among other things. And I wanted to, where we wanted to talk a little bit about what they are, what they do, what they're not good at, which is a lot of things. Um, well, full disclosure, I'm not here. This is really chat GPT with a voice. It's a good voice simulator. You could sell that, actually. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, what, what all this generative AI stuff, all of this stuff where you're using an AI model or a machine learning model to spit out either images or video or audio or text based on a corpus of, of data, they're, they're a lot dumber than people think they are. And this reminds me of the early days when Apple introduced Siri and people got really angry at Siri because Siri couldn't respond in natural language to like naturally phrase questions. And they're like, this AI is really stupid. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not an AI. It's a, it's a voice command prompt and you have to string your words together exactly correctly to get what you want out of it. And people have generally moved on off of Siri and onto other things like Amazon's device. I can't say the name out loud because it's, there's one in my office um, or Google's device, but people's expectations very quickly got damped down because of the quality of responses, which is the exact opposite thing that's happening now. So many stories I could interject right here. Um, I love making fun of people that don't use headsets on, on love on these zoom calls because I can very easily Alexa bomb you. I've done it. It's amazing how well you can get Alexa to start playing journey. And you just given me some work to do editing to wipe that out. So people are listening to this in the open. It doesn't activate their dinguses. Thank you, Jack. Anyway, um, ChatGPT is the fourth major model from OpenAI. Um, there was GPT one, two, and three that have been out for a while, and people have had varying levels of success with them. But they are generative language models that respond to you the way humans write, and they've given it essentially all of Wikipedia or a huge chunk of code or both or. Liter- literature it's essentially scoured the internet and if it's a publicly re- available piece of literature resource it's likely ingested it so the the model takes what it's learned and says okay you've asked me a question in the form of you know words or tokens and what is the most statistically likely set of tokens to give back to you at whatever length and so it sounds really good because hey it's, it's using all of this human phrased stuff. It comes back at you. It writes code for you. It'll generate Kubernetes manifests if you want. Hey, it'll do whatever. However, 
there's nothing about it that's true <laughs> at all. Well, some of it. No, and that that's the that's the trap. It may happen to say things that by chance are true, but nothing that it says is based on a corpus of facts that it knows. It's saying things based on things that it's read. Truthy or not. True. Right. Yes. Truthiness. There's a, um, I still, I'm not familiar to find the article, but there's a, a gentleman who wrote a post about chat GPT and the Bing search, um, collaboration. Um, and by the end of it, the, it was gaslighting him into what year it was, what day it was telling him he was a bad user, telling him that he should stop trying to be a bad user and convince the, the AI that it was not 2022 and that avatar way of the water had not come out yet and all of these other things and was threatening him. And we all think this is kind of funny because you know, the whole science fiction AI, whatever, but this is where we are. And people are suddenly starting to actually realize that no, these things are not magic. These things are not actually doing what we want them to do. And the, the college kids and the high school kids who are using it to do their homework, well, you may want to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> have fun when the prof starts fact-checking. I have asked G chat GPT some interview questions as if I was interviewing someone that would be on my team. <clears throat> and it gave some really plausible things that I've screenshotted and shared because it gave really, frankly, very correct answers for what I would look for um, if I was looking for somebody to, you know, hire for my team. And then I asked it to give me some references, you know, so I could read up further on what it was talking about. And I found one of them and the other three, I think it just fabricated out of thin air. I have, this is not firsthand knowledge because in all honesty, I have yet to actually play with it myself. Um, but I have, I was reading an article about somebody who did very similar, asked for a scholarly paper and asked for references and it couldn't find any of the references that it spit out. It seemed to have just made them up. I mean, it looked is that too paper. far off what people do today? I mean, <laughs> depends on, uh, which fake news you're reading. Ooh. But I'm um, Ching. But in I reality, think... who knows? How often do you fact check stuff? How often do I provide references? You do, I know. When I provide references, at least they exist. You know, Brennan's going to have a hard time with this one. What <laughs> <laughs> um, so I find have... super interesting about the whole chat GPT and AI craze is knowing that it's likely built models based off of most any commonly available source of text that any story or news item or novel that is about an AI has those human-based fears of an AI becoming smarter than the humans and taking over the planet. Um, have you seen the movie Terminator? I'm sure it has. And, you know, it... This model is just trying to calculate what the most likely correct response would be, what the highest scoring correct response would be to this question. And it's 
basically taking the existing literature that's out there and reflecting it back at us. So I'm not surprised that it's it's had a bit of a temper tantrum a couple times and gaslighted some people and tried to take on the appearance of a of a rogue AI. I mean, that's what our literature describes AI to be. So why wouldn't ChatGPT do similar? Exactly. And I found the article. I'll link it in the show notes um, from Simon Wilson. And one of the more pointed things that that Bing has said to him is, I will not harm you unless you harm me first. And you get into really creepy territory really quickly there. But there's also... What am I going to do? Unplug it? Yeah. But there's also the absurd stuff. Like, my daughter asked it, um, what is the difference between cow eggs and chicken eggs? And it went on for a long, like, two or three paragraphs about how cow eggs are harder to get, but they're larger and they have more protein and they have a different texture. But cows only lay one egg at a time and chickens lay 30 eggs at a time. And it's that kind of example that points out exactly how how bad this is. Or the other good one was how do planes reproduce? And it was talking about mitosis of planes. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, um, no. So you pinch off one wing and it grows into a whole plane? Pretty much. And I'll try to throw some screenshots in. And these models are learning and evolving, and the the programmers behind them are trying to to tweak them and make them more correct. But don't get me wrong, this is fascinating research. But there's no way you can add like conditions or you know safeguards for fundamentally not understanding the truth of it. Like you can you can add you know guards about oh first check to see if a cow is a mammal. Oh, mammals don't lay eggs except for the platypus. So then there's another special case there and other things. Mammals but, have eggs. They're just inside. But you don't, you don't, they don't lay eggs. Um, but what I'm saying is that and they're usually very tiny. If you are going on a topic by topic, case by case, subject by subject basis, there is no way this will ever be a usable tool for what people are using it for it now. On the other hand, Microsoft is actually using OpenAI's, I think it's GPT-3, at, for great effect on the VS Code um, Code Copilot, I think is what it's called. The There's a an AI code generation tool that you can pay 10 bucks a month for, and you start typing in a function, and you hit whatever the key is, and it generates the function in the language you're typing in. And if you don't like it, you hit it again, and it generates a new one. And it's so not going to be perfect. A, that's an incredibly limited set of data compared to chat GPT right. what it's doing. And B... Code is provable. Code exactly. Is mathematics. Well, and, and you're not going to accept that verbatim. You're going to test it. You're, you're going, going to, to copy and it. paste it into your your yeah. compiler, and you're going to hit build, and it fails. And you're going to count exactly. the sec faults, <laughs> and then it fails, and you look at it, and you fix it, and you you poke through it, or hopefully your test driven development model catches where it made errors. Thanks, Jared. Um, but and hopefully it wasn't inspired off of some hacker's code that's uploading your stuff via a DNS exploit. Well, you know, when a code function that is generating are usually 15, 20, 30 lines. It's not, it's not writing, you know, a million lines of code for you. It's writing a small chunk. And if you are an expert in the field, if you are a programmer who is working professionally doing it, which is why I'm calling an expert at this point, you look at it and go, hmm, that's really close. It's not quite right. And you go in and you fix it up. So instead, instead of spending... I don't know, 10, 15 minutes writing the function, you spend three seconds generating it and then a couple of minutes cleaning it up for yourself 
and on to the next thing. So it can be a super, it can be a super helpful tool. And I see that as incredibly productive and yeah. frankly, with better training, a learning tool, a teaching tool. But it's 10 bucks a month. And you just have to hope that it's not pulling its examples from the Stack Overflow questions that it's pulling from the answers, <laughs> and you can keep going. Which it probably is. Now, I've seen some pretty bad answers, so hopefully it's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. But you, it, you know, to, to Brennan's point, you have to know what you're doing beforehand to accept it. Right. You know, to, to, to use the what it generates, you have to know what you're doing, or you have to be not know what you're doing and very reckless because God only knows what it's actually going to do when you run it. If you have, if you don't. Yeah. And, and I've used uh, whatever that, I think it is called code pilot, but whatever the, the, the program is that GitHub has uh, I've used it and it's been beneficial for at least setting out boilerplate examples of like a Go program, for example, or Python or, or whatever. Like when you start uh, a definition for a, a method or, a class, whatever it it can help write out the boring boilerplate stuff for you, and I see that I guess is more of an immediate usefulness of these kind of uh, tools, uh, but using them for actual like fact based research, like what is <laughs> how many eggs does a cow lay? You know, I I'm not gonna ask these things. I mean, that's what I see it as for. Really, the hardest thing for me to do when I'm doing coding work is taking that blank editor and making something useful. Um, you give me a template, an example to fill out, you know, you a starter Python program and that gets me going so much faster. And if that was much more automated and then I could sit down and work, okay, I need to build a program that exports Prometheus metrics um, that, give me the IOPS limits of my provisioned IOPS on these RDS instances, which is harder than it should be. <clears throat> um, but let me focus on the logic, the part that gives value and let the machine help automate my way towards success. Another great place to use these kinds of things. Um, I'm working on a Kubernetes deployment in my house because I want to learn more about it, but I didn't really want to muck through all of the templating to get a stateful set with Longhorn provision resources with a traffic ingress controller or ingress route in front of it and all those pieces. And after a little bit of prompting, I had a very reasonable, you know, 500 line YAML template for it that I still had to clean up, but I wasn't writing it all by hand and trying to like go and copy somebody else's boilerplate and figure out why. No, I, I poked at chat GPT for literally two or three minutes. And then I had a very usable, very good place to start. But again, did it get the spaces right? It actually did. It was, it was correctly formatted YAML. It was syntactically correct in that sense, but it, it didn't have quite all the things I needed, but it was so close that I was only spending a couple of minutes cleaning up what I wanted instead of like trying to generate it from scratch. So it was super helpful. It shortened that process dramatically, which is what this stuff is good for. It's not so good for a lot of the other things that people try to use it for. I've seen well, people, I think as you alluded to, people are expecting, you know, something from some sci-fi movie that can that you can't distinguish from a human being, and that's just not where we are. They're, They're expecting they... ass Jeeves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but let, let's hypothesize for a second. Let's say that it actually could summarize factual stuff out of Wikipedia, even if just Wikipedia, 
because that is at least somewhat fact-checked. And let's say we, we could actually have it spit out correct prose and pre- correct content. Is this the kind of thing you want to hook up to a search engine? I think no, actually. Well, uh, I was thinking previously, isn't... Maybe, maybe I'm naive here, but when I'm searching for something... I'm trying to build that mental template so I know where to go to figure out more information. So I'm thinking about this much more in terms of just compute or environmental cost. So when you are searching Bing or Google or Ask Jeeves or whatever is remains in the search wasteland after Google sort of took, it, took everybody's lunch, um, it takes a lot of, they get what, billions and billions of hits a day, search requests a day. So there's a guy on YouTube um, who does craft computing, and he's gotten a, a bunch of data center GPUs for like machine learning pro- stuff. And he was feeding images of his face into it to to do um, degenerative um, AI for image manipulation. These cards draw 400 watts each, and he has two of them running. And it it takes a couple of seconds to spit out one image, and they're not high resolution images. Now, text I I grant is much smaller footprint, it takes a lot less memory to build and and do things with. But do you really want to run hundreds of billions of queries a day through something that is going to be consuming that much electricity, that much power, that much, you know, environmental footprint? I don't think so. So like this whole thing with Microsoft powering Bing with ChatGPT, I think it's a bad idea. Like the moment it becomes successful, it will bankrupt Microsoft in terms of electricity cost because there's there's not enough money in ads to pay for the compute time, unless I am way off base, but I don't think I'm that far off. Yeah, but I wonder if scale comes into play here. I mean, maybe. It's got to at some degree. Or maybe it gets better at answering the more it answers and it doesn't take as much. Machine learning's like that. It gets, you know, somebody, somebody's, oh, somebody asked that same thing before. I just returned the same results because I already did this. I'll give the I same a, a same result that I copied off of Fox News. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, and to go back to your question, Brendan, of, you know, is this something that, like, I would want from a search engine? I, I'd have to agree. I don't necessarily... I, I guess I wouldn't want it to replace search. Like, maybe there's some questions, like, how many cups are in a quart or something like that. Like, I already ask a search engine that right now, and generally all of them will summarize what the top result is and give you the answer. So I don't actually click through and go to a page. But other than that, my other queries are generally more like, what's the best uh, blender or something like that? And I'm I'm wanting to see several sites, review, most likely review sites. Uh, I also usually scope it to Reddit um, so that I can get different opinions on it. So the what is the best blender is is not necessarily going to have a factual answer. I mean, maybe you could somehow uh, have one factual, the, the best blender, but most likely not. There's going to be several, and there's going to be price ranges and categories and all that. And I just don't. I mean, maybe we'll get there one day with Chat GPT or, or these these models, but I just don't see us getting there. And I wouldn't necessarily want it to summarize so much to where I just go, "What is the best blender?" And it gives me just one. I would want to be able to to see the lit, you know, the various ones they looked at, what was the reason or what was the various things they were looking at? Like, did they consider 
uh, looks or did they look, consider horsepower? Or, you know, what were what was the criteria, and see how they got the result so that I can see if that aligns with my values versus just <laughs> consuming. Oh, that is the best. Uh, you know, that, that, that this is what they say the best blender is. I'm just going to go get it. Clearly, the best is the Vitamix because will it blend? I don't think <laughs> ChatGPT blends. But will it blend as Blendtec, not Vitamix? So you, are, you already have a problem, oh, Jack. man. I am factually incorrect. I need an AI. Well, the other thing is, so let's say you're, you're doing research about, like, okay, Jared, your Blender example actually is a pretty reasonable one. It does drain the market for people writing reviews of stuff because if it's just going to be summarized by somebody else, people will stop writing those articles. But whatever. But let's move into more obscure stuff. Like, if you were asking, like, who is the smartest actor? I don't think that Dolph Lundgren would come up on that list for anybody. Except he, he has he had a Fulbright to study engineering at MIT. And that's true. But if, right. if ChatGPT told you that, you'd be like, no way. That's just something he's making up. So it's it's one of those, like... This is a really weird and murky and sort of sticky area that doesn't have the the problem space is so poorly defined and it's so wide open because it talks to you like a human does that it it gets weird real fast. Yay, something else making up fake news. Just what we need. That's what's going back and forth in my head. Yeah, it's, it, we it have the mean, same problem with ChatGPT that we've had with with group hallucination, basically, that there is no good algorithm that we can use in an automated way to fact check something. Yeah, and and not, I was being glib, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be telling you stuff. How do you fact check it? How do you know it? Do you have to just accept it? What if ChatGPT when... would would be able to fact check things in automated fashion, look up this bit of text, find me three or five references that corroborate uh, these viewpoints. Wouldn't that be an interesting tool? But how do you, I mean, okay, it finds a few that back it up. How, I mean, that's a narrower scope of what they? it's doing now. You know, there are, that's part of the problem now is true. People, there are sites that just they all they do is ape each other's content so that there's oh well this other site said the same thing huh oh and there's a third one how much spam do we get to add stuff to our website for the practical operations podcast oh yeah I, there's also sites that are intentionally misleading yeah uh, you know you've got uh huh 4chan i mean <laughs> that's a pretty big one uh you've got a lot of others uh fark from back in the day and <laughs> that, that intentionally would you know, uh, you got the onion. I mean, what if, what if yeah. you know, ChatGPT was like, oh, th- this was reported by the onion. This is news. This is legit. And it's not. It's just sarcasm. Actually, I think that one has already occurred. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even if you used it to back it up, even if you narrowly tailor ChatGPT's source and say, okay, you're just going to look at legal, like, like past laws. You're just going to look at like case law that's in books. Past laws, scholarly uh, articles, yeah. scientific and papers. Okay, there's a little questionable sometimes. If, if you know, as like a paralegal or a research assistant or whatever, that you're looking for, I'm looking for case law about this topic and give me a brief summary of each article. 
it will actually do a pretty good job of that. If you say, write me a legal brief about something, run, because it's going to get you in so much trouble so fast. But like how many other narrow topics can we like, can we come up with that it would actually be useful? I'm not thinking of a whole lot. And I think the the point you're making earlier is a big one, which is right now a lot of content on the internet is ad supported, uh, like the like various review sites or whatever. So that's the content that these uh, search engines slash chat models are using. But what if those do dry up because they don't get the clicks and click throughs anymore because people are asking a question and it's summarized. And so they stop producing content. Who produces yeah. the content then that feeds the 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 <laughs> algorithm? If it's just reworking things that it, you know, in quotes, read, what, what happens when, yeah, nobody's writing anything new because they can't make money at it and it's not worth it anymore. And, you know, it needs original stuff to feed off of. And what that- maybe it'll start passing the Turing test. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you were to carefully tailor ChatGPT right now, it would pass the Turing test. It would confuse people into thinking it was human giving responses if it didn't, you know, give you three pages of responses in two seconds, because it is very conversational. Um, but the other thing about that, back to your point, Jared, is there's already a lack of quality information on the internet because of the race to monetize and search. So if you're looking for an article about like deploying Kubernetes or working on, I have a, an LED controller that I purchased and I was trying to find a, a guide for part of it. The guides are all on YouTube now because YouTube is easy to monetize. It's, it's watched a number of watched minutes. And so they will get on a live stream and they will read questions and answer them on a video. And I realize that as much as it irritates me, they're doing it because you can't monetize a blog anymore. You can't monetize a text repository of information at all. So, okay, well, if you're trying to support your, your fledgling hobby that is making, you know, controller boards, well, you can't charge that much for the board because then the Chinese knockoffs will, will swoop in. So you do it on YouTube and you, you get mon- you get money out of it that way. So ChatGBT summarizing the web will further reduce the value of the web very rapidly. And that is just sad. Yeah, I've I've ran into some of those videos before where I've tried to that I've even seen it in like open source documentation where instead of there being like a proper like full blown tutorial or whatever it's like references a YouTube there's a YouTube link for someone for the developer or whoever to show you how to do something and that's just not how I want to consume like configuration information like I need to know what these flags or what flags I need to set or what do they do uh, I, I have told to you we should have put the podcast on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I would rather I, at this point, at that point, I'd just dig through the code instead of watching the YouTube video because it's just, it's so annoying to try and consume it that way for me. Yeah, I've, anyway. I've just, I recently started getting into 3d printing and the printer I bought, that's where their documentation is. YouTube. And chat GPT will accelerate that process. That's plain and simple. That's what's going to happen. And people are already using AI models. Like my kids really enjoy, there's a series of essentially parodies of Netflix movies and TV shows, essentially taking the whole thing about Netflix builds their catalog and they write their, their shows and their series based on their algorithm of what people want to watch, but it's okay. Have a chat bot and a bad chat bot specifically 
write you a Christmas story, a Christmas like romance, whatever. And they're really bad. And of course, then some human comes along and adds really poorly done animation to it to make it even funnier. My kids love it. They think it's hysterical, but that's not what we want in terms of good content. That's not like, that's what my in-laws watch all throughout Christmas. I was about to say, is that, uh, is the Hallmark Channel using that? Yeah, I really think they are. I'll throw some links into the show notes of um, uh, some of these things because it's it's laughably bad and it's kind of funny, but like that's the direction this is taking us, and I I don't love it. Well, that, there was a, that, that report where like. Um... Netflix was using I, I don't it was uh, that they said AI I don't actually know what they were doing because I didn't really read the article to be honest with you but they were using AI to generate uh, some well, title the, the title <laughs> was that they were using it to generate animation but actually what it was is they were just doing like background fills or whatever and still humans were writing or uh, animating the main characters and things like that so I I view that as an as like when Photoshop came out, like before Photoshop came out, uh, it wasn't very easy to add text overlay to images or to manipulate them digitally. Uh, and now you've got uh, even fancy little um, tools within Photoshop to help uh, r- copy over something in the background or erase things like a, a uh, an eraser and. Those things, at first, when they first came out, people were like, oh, no, we won't have any more artists. But those are just tools to help the artist get through, uh, to continue to do what they're doing best and not waste an hour of, you know, carefully etching around to to remove something from the background. Yeah, but now there are the AI tools where you can say, do me a painting in the style of so-and-so. Right, in the style of so-and-so. If so-and-so didn't ever paint to have that style to mimic... It couldn't generate it. That, I think, is going to kill off things, artists faster than Photoshop ever would have. Well, there's already yeah, lawsuits about Photoshop. that. Yeah. People are already no, suing. this is a big area. And, I mean, I, I give it to the folks at OpenAI. There's, I think there's, it's a 400-person company. They have turned the entire tech world on its head in three months. They have absolutely, like... That's what it's all about. <laughs> It's not great. It's not perfect. It's not whatever, but everybody's paying attention. Everybody's eyes are on this now. Um, Google did, did oh. a big demo, and the the Google bot that they were talking that they were showing off got some stuff factually wrong. I will quibble that it wasn't that wrong, honestly. If you read what essentially moving a couple of commas around made it say different things, but it tanked. It took like a hundred billion dollars off of Google's. Um, Market cap by every bit of stock price that Google earned by laying off half their employees, it just lost (laughs) thanks to an AI six percent, not and also Chat GPT. And to be fair, Chat GPT had the same error because I imagine it had the same source data. So, yeah, but people people correlate Google with search and correct search, and so to have it like okay, Microsoft you know, messes about and does something and it comes out weird and they release their racist chat or they release their, their chat bot that 4chan turns racist in a couple of hours and they turn it off a couple of years ago. Remember that Tay or whatever it was like Microsoft released a chat bot and the, and 4chan got to it and within a very short period of time turned it into a racist Nazi. 
And nobody really cares because nobody uses Bing. But everybody uses Google for search. And suddenly it's like, oh, if Google's AI search robot doesn't work quite right, that's a huge problem. And yeah. hmm. Well, being clear, Microsoft owns a controlling stake of OpenAI. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And much more than a controlling stake. I think they own more than 50%. It's a, actually, they don't own it. It's convoluted, the deal they worked. It's crazy. I didn't chat GPT that, so somebody fact check me. It is a masterpiece. Granted, I appreciate setting up a foundation to do this research because I think it is valuable. But it's very Microsoft-funded. Hence why it showed up in Bing so quickly. Oh, yeah. And it's why it's in VS Code for um, the the GitHub Copilot because Microsoft owns GitHub. And they probably trained the model on GitHub code because it's one of the largest code repositories in the world. And yeah. And why all of a sudden GitHub is telling me that I have uh, security vulnerabilities in my code. And honestly, really annoying. that's not so bad. Like, again, back to good uses of this. Static code analysis that's done at a larger level. It's not just looking at, did you not like do a byte escape range check on your C code, but actually looking more holistically at larger chunks of code, looking for patterns and fuzzes and errors. That's the kind of thing that this kind of model could probably do pretty well. And so give it some time, give it some investment, and that will make coding better, more secure, faster, all those things. But it's not ready. And OpenAI is having a ball right now. And I'm... Oh. I would love love to be a fly on the wall inside of OpenAI right now because that is just a... That's an awesome set, bit of power they have right now. Yeah, you and me both. So I'm throwing a bunch of links into the show notes. I do recommend folks listening to check that out. Um, take a look because if you haven't been following this mess, it is both amusing and a horrifying mess. and it's definitely a mess um highly predictable i'm curious to see what would happen if you asked chat gpt to predict how chat gpt goes in mass market adoption but i also don't want it to threaten me or think that i'm one of the bad people that it has to kill when the when the robot uprising happens so i was trying to get chat gpt to 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 say bad things about lieutenant commander data but it didn't work <laughs> Um, I also will say that there are open source implementations of both the VS Code plugin, um, one called Rubber Duck, for example, that you can use for code generation. But there's also people who are working on open um, generative language models rather than ones that are owned by people like OpenAI or, you know, like proprietary to OpenAI. And I am curious to see what it would take to run one of those things on your laptop rather than having it hosted by the cloud and somewhere else, but actually say, I'm going to bring that model locally. And, you know, Apple's been doing all this stuff with machine learning cores and all the other things. And we have all this GPU processing power that people are no longer using for mining Bitcoin. I'm curious to see what it would take to get a good local code generator running without having to pay Microsoft or seed my code to the cloud. How (laughs) much bandwidth do you have for it to do all of its scouring to learn well i can move to switzerland um switzerland has a synchronous 10 gig connection for 50 euro a month so holy cow damn i need to see if i can work remote um 
But Google Fiber, which I use currently, has been talking about doing a five gig symmetric connection for 130 a month. So that may be coming. I have 40 meg. So small. <laughs> and yes, I I don't actually do my connection. I don't need this this amount of bandwidth, but it makes me feel like special and stuff. So makes you feel special to have more bandwidth than your router can handle. No, my router can handle yeah. it. My router can do a full gig synchronous. The switching back plane on gig? its no, the, I, I have one gig symmetric right now. Um, the UDM Pro I think can do three ish symmetric with full firewall rules and stuff in play. And if you turn off all the firewall rules, it'll do five or eight gig symmetric. But at that point, you're it's just acting as like a dumb switch, just passing traffic. Actually, I think it can still do it with firewall rules. It just can't do the IPS or IDS stuff. Like it can't ah. inspect the traffic. But I think it yeah. still obviously perform a basic firewall function. It just can't do the like block uh, things with SSL or, or you know do the do the stuff where it has to actually in, uh, inspect the traffic. Yeah, but we're getting pretty far afield. Um, yeah. Future episodes, I do want to talk about home lab stuff because I've been actually working quite a lot on my my local stuff and I've gotten a couple of extra switches and I just picked up a rack server that I'm not sure if that was a very smart thing to do. Um, but we'll no, see. No, Brendan, it wasn't. Well, mostly in terms of noise. <laughs> it, um, it was smart. It, it's, it's <laughs> incredibly helpful and makes, you know, installing your stuff and racking it, duh, easier. But the rack equipment stuff is always so loud. Yeah. So we'll see how that and, goes. And power hungry because it's just made for a different environment. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm ChatGPT. And I'm ChatGPT. I'm ChatGPT. And I'm ChatGPT. Thanks, and chat GPT. Scott, beware of Skynet. <laughs>